the flow has stopped, the error rate has started to increase, or they just can't remember what that is, then that's pretty much a good sign of fatigue. Need to take a break. And that could just be 60 seconds of just doing something else. Welcome to Learning About Dogs, a podcast for people who love learning about dogs. I'm Sue McGuire, the manager of a canine behavior program at a small nonprofit animal shelter just north of San Francisco. And with me is Kay Lawrence of Learning About Dogs in the UK. Today, we will continue our discussion, a multi-part episode podcast about the concept of clean training. So if you missed the previous episodes, go ahead and hit that rewind button and take a listen. You won't be sorry. Continuing on with clean training. We, in our previous episode, we talked a lot about uh, some of the elements of what we consider to uh, be on your clean trainer checklist. Uh, We talked about reinforcement patterns. We talked about engagement. We talked about letting your learner know the reinforcement pattern for a particular behavior. And does that reinforcement pattern complement the behavior? And we talked a bit about cues. I know that we can do multiple episodes on cues, but let's talk about, um, you know, looking at when you are engaging with your learner, um, how do you observe? What other skills should you have in terms of being able to observe your learner? And are they needing a break? Are they not understanding, et cetera? Mm -hmm. Talk about that a little bit. I certainly think the focus that we get from the dogs, the connection, call it what you like, it's not a switch. It's not on or off. There is a connection to some degree all the time. And if that connection needs to escalate because I want to give over more information, then I need some way of actually saying at this moment in time, what you and I are doing together is more important than everything else in the environment. I would need something that that has to say this is starting. So if I was teaching a dog to do something um, like stand on a platform or or go to a target at that time, that's all I want the dog to focus on. So this is, if you like, we call that a training session, a learning session. I would have an open session queue, which says we're training. This is normally always thrown food so I can check the dog in this environment is able to disconnect from the environment and reconnect to me. And just as equally, when I need to take a break because the phone is wrong or because somebody wants to talk to me, I would also be able to tell the dog, take a break. You can rest for a while while I just deal with this. So one of the, again, a dirty habit is to be training the dog And you're face-to-face while the dog's going to a target, market, come back. And just as it's coming back to you, you turn off the dog to hold a conversation with a person. Or you turn off the dog to get your phone out of your pocket. Without giving a buyer leave to the dog, excuse me, just a moment, can I deal with this? Now, even if you're talking to a person, (laughs) I've had more than one person that I am teaching actually answer the phone and start texting in the middle of me teaching them at which point i leave oh sorry you know and if i if i had to take a phone call i would say i'm very sorry i need to take this call would you excuse me for a moment and it's up to the person that i'm talking to to say yeah sure you go ahead I'll, i'll go and deal with something else you don't just say screw you i'm taking this phone call or yeah i'm walking away from you while i talk to this other person So very much in class, I often coach somebody from standing behind them to stop them trying to talk to you. See, I told you, he wasn't doing this very well, but I don't know, blah, 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 blah. And the dog's standing there going, 
have we just ended this conversation? I don't know. And this is often one of the things that becomes very disconnecting for the dog. And it usually when you see somebody complain that, oh, well, he sort of loses focus halfway through, it comes because the person is a poor at actually walking away from the dog or taking their focus off the dog without any cues to the dog that you can take a break. And a break only might be 15 seconds, but you need a way to say to the dog, take a break for a moment. I just need to deal with this. I need to write some notes. I need to turn the camera on. I need to switch the camera off. At the moment, I'm going back to be person around the house. You can do what you like. But when we want full focus from you on your learning, I need some way of saying to you at the moment in time, I want full focus. So what does that look like so we for your training sessions? What it, what might it look like? <laughs> so when I'm, it's, it came, when I'm practicing a routine for um, freestyle, here what's music, Often you have to set the music to start. We go to the middle of the ring in a competition environment and we hold that first pose. You wave your hand in the air and the music starts. So I'd have to set up my CD to give me like a 10 or 15 second pause while I go to the middle of the room, get the dog ready, pretend to do the hands up and the music comes on. So we're standing there in the pause and it's now 30 seconds. And I go, oh, good Lord above. And I have to go back and reset the music machine. And the dog's just sort of, you know, sit back and fold their arms and go, uh-huh. <laughs> how do the dogs know that I'm going back to reset the music machine? And how do they know that that's not part of the mute? So it's something to do with their energy. When we're training, we sort of have um, a more gathered intensity. And when you take a break, you sort of let it all go and you lose your energy. And the dogs are super good at picking this up. So... um Prey and predators often live side by side, but they're not always being chased and the dogs are not always trying to kill them. So the dog can actually mosey around a field of sheep and the sheep will just carry on grazing because they recognize whether the dog is in predatory mode or whether the dog's just browsing, mm -hmm. eating sheep poo as it goes around. And you see the wolves do the same. If they're full, they would just trail on past the deer and the deer just go, uh -huh, they're not going to kill us today. So how do they know? <clears throat> it, it's about that innate animal sense of what the other, what the rest of the environment is doing around you. So my dogs were able to pick up, here we are, we're training, and you're going to do this, and I'm going to feed you for that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to feed you for that. Oh, there goes the phone again. <sighs> and it's not just the sigh, it's that whole change in sure. your energy whilst you go away and deal with that thing. Now, the young dogs find that difficult to pick up you know my experienced dogs get the difference between i'm going back there to mess around with the music and we're actually training <laughs> so a young dog doesn't need to learn this the hard way they need you to be clear that i often don't train on lead so i will put the dog back on the lead if i'm going to on a leash if i want them to take a break if i'm doing a demonstration with a dog i'll nearly always put my hand in their collar so they rest at my side when i'm talking to the mm -hmm. people and then when I take my hand out of the collar, we're back on a one-to-one. -one. And then if somebody's talking to you in the middle of training the dog, I absolutely will not take my eyes off the dog. I will ask them to go back on the lead. You take a break. And then I'll talk to the person, which is pretty effective at stopping them doing that again. Because yeah. if you're in the middle of training a dog, somebody shouldn't try and have a conversation with you. Just secretly, if you and I are having a conversation, somebody shouldn't walk up and go, excuse me, Sue. Oh. They should stand nearby. And wait and wait for us to have a natural gap in the conversation and you give your attention to her. But look how many table staff just walk up and go, hi, when you're actually talking to the other person. No, no, we don't want to be interrupted at this moment. Go mm -hmm. away.
<laughs> you know, quality table staff will look for the moment to come up when there's a natural pause in the conversation. Oh, and we should teach the dogs. My favorite that. breakfast place has excellent table staff. And that's why I go there. Other than yeah. the food's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so in yeah. a training session, um, you have an open session queue. Yes, we're starting. An actual queue. Wow. We're starting. Yeah. Wow. And I need to take a break. Then the yeah. second point then is if, I, if I've got the dog that's working at its best to try and work out what, what you want to do here and the flow has stopped, the error rate has started to increase, or they mm. just can't remember what that is, then that's pretty much a good sign of fatigue. Need to take a break. Right. And that could just yeah. be 60 seconds of just doing something else. And how does that not turn into, well, I, I, recognizing that fatigue is, is, is smart training, but I, I struggle with sometimes feeling like my, is that a, a punishing thing to ask my dog? We're going to take a break right now. Um, well, no, no. I no. mean, any time, say I'm training, I probably wouldn't train any one dog for more than 20 minutes tops. Yeah. I don't go 20 minutes, minute after minute after minute after minute. There's lots of okay. breaks in that 20 minute session. Sometimes I need to look at my notes to see what I want to train next. I need to go and get a prop, uh, some target to set up. Um, I might need to rethink how I'm going to do something. I need to sit at the table and take notes. We need to switch the camera on. So the dog is used to lots of mini breaks all the way through the session. It's not punishing. It's just, oh, yeah, she needs to do person shit. Okay, okay, okay. She'll come back so, in a minute. So, did, so that should be my cue. Uh, I'm going to do person shit. That's right. right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> person shit's got nothing to do with them, but they live with us. So they're used to us doing person shit. <laughs> we'll bring new jargon and, in <laughs> oh absolutely and then um and then so obviously then what i'm struggling with is is there is there a creation of a cue that i need to take a break because i can't imagine a scenario where we would be working on something and me just abruptly turn focus away i need to no, be able to yes. yeah how is that what does that look like um I made the mistake with, with Mabel, who, I mean, should be 20-odd now, um, but she was the one that really opened up clicker training in the sense that I could do a demonstration with a border collie and a clicker, and people go, well, yeah, it's a border collie, so what's new about clicker training? But the minute you do a demonstration with a Gordon setter and it's clicker training, people are like, oh, okay, hmm. you know, a breed that's not the easiest considered to train. So she would... Um, Oh, now I'm fatigued so I have lost my thread so if a dog's getting tired and you say hey let's take a break for a moment they are not going to consider that as anything less than oh okay let's take a break for a moment but I made the mistake with her of training with food and then when I wanted to take a break I would step towards her and give her a fuss around the head now she was uh, a very affectionate dog and she loved tactile contact but under those conditions she behaved like i'd shot her with electricity yes because the fuss meant the end of training and it said mm -hmm. right i'm done <laughs> so you have to be careful that your end of session cue is something that's no major change but just the person needs to take a break for a minute have a sip of coffee look at their training notes you ready to start again cool let's go off again so they learn to recognize this on and off situation. I think with youngsters, I might throw two or three treats to the floor. And then when their head comes back up again, I've started to be busy. 
Okay. Yeah. You know, I certainly teach the person's busy. You know, the adults are talking. You need to go and do things by yourself. Some people okay. like to do a fixed position. So if the dog goes to their station or their, you know, their crate, that means they can take a break. It's fair enough. Yep. Yeah. Just a very, very subtle communication of take a break. It's not. Yeah. But you need uh, to be clear. You know, it shouldn't be a problem. Head flipped. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then you're ready to start again. And then let's say that you are done with that particular session. Um, so it's not just to take a break. Mm -hmm. It's a, we're going to put the equipment away. We're going to put the notebooks away. What does that look like for for your training session? Uh, by the time that they've, I, I think my dogs seem satisfied because I'm usually changing dogs. Oh. If I'm training three dogs, two of them don't get anything more than being shunted out and the next one trained in. <laughs> So it's wow. not like we get to play at the end. You know, you don't have the others waiting whilst you play with the first dog because they're going to go freak out if I start having games with the first one while they're watching. But they're quite happy to sit and watch me do food training, a bit of a chase here, catch there, a bit of this, bit of that, and then they're all done and now the other ones are coming in. So they'll tend to go out and go, cool, that was cool. I enjoyed that very much. That was quite good fun. Now I can watch her do it. Yep, so... You know, and I, I go in order of the youngsters first because they're the ones that need their attention first and then they'll yes. rest quietly while they spectate the other's training. Well, I think then uh, as the dog matures and understands, they understand the routine. They mm. understand that's mm. okay, yeah. I, I mean, some people like now. to play at the end of a session, but it's never been practical for me to, because I've always got spectating dogs, to just burst into play with one dog and not have the others yeah. play. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. something that says, okay, I might ask them to have a hang around as a group. Yeah, and while I finish the pot of treats and I'll toss them across the training area and then go and search for them. That might be the end of session. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so sometimes what I'll do when I'm working with my youngster is uh, one of my other dogs will often be present because she likes to observe. Mm -hmm. And I will give her what I lovingly call participation cheese. That's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, thank you for yeah. being present and yeah. paying attention. And she, she, she does. She just sits there and observes. And yeah, some in mine and... get a random bit every now and again, the, the watchers. Yeah. Um, but they're behind the puppy gate, so they can do what they like out there and wait for random pieces. But I... I personally have never been able to train one dog and then keep reinforcing the other dog for lying down. I, I just, I can't split my focus between two dogs, but separately wow. I would train them as a group to go and sit on their stations. And here's one for you 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 and one for you. But that's, that's a different sort of setup. Yeah. So you're not going to be training 10 otters anytime soon. I, I can do seven dogs that just sit. <laughs> And that's it. Yeah, I see, I see. I see some of that stationing work, and I go, "Okay, that's impressive." Yes. And the mark <laughs> is the eye contact that you look at the dog that's just got that treat coming. So yes. you don't look at one yeah. dog and give a treat to another one. Oh no! Oh, yeah. And I can remember on the cruise when when uh, Ken was having us work groups. Oh yes. And um, I thought that was terribly fun. Yes. I yes. That was just yes. So much fun. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So. All right, so open session cues, take a break, mm -hmm. end of session cues. Yep. So we haven't even talked about planning. planning. Planning, absolutely. I mean, the questions for planning, this is the stuff that you do before you start to screw the dog up. You know, what questions do you need to ask yourself so you're clear what you're going to do? And that often tells you how to do what you're going to do. So, um, you know, when I'm actually planning 
I, I'll work out what before I work out what I want to do, I'll, I'll ask where this behavior is coming from. So I don't say I want to teach my dog. I would say, does this behavior exist for this dog naturally? So mm-hmm. um, something like teach the dog to crawl across the carpet. To me, it's it's a bit too circusy. So ethically, I find it a bit uncomfortable. And in all the dogs I've had, only two have ever done it naturally for their own pleasure. And the type of pleasure they did it for wasn't something you'd want in public. So both boys, mm-hmm. and they used to like to mm-hmm. take their Winnie for a little trip across the carpet. And I'm thinking, no, I'm not training that. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, that's is what that he's doing. Evident, is that a very example of self-reinforcement? Well, yes, Sorry. exactly. It's called masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> we, had, we had this lovely lady come with a Jack Russell, not Jack Russell, a pug called Jack. And after training, he would do this. He'd lie on the carpet. His back legs would shoot out horizontally behind him, which is quite unusual for a pug to be able to do that behavior. And then he'd drag himself across the carpet. And she oh, he just loves to do that. <laughs> I had to explain to this lady what he was actually doing. And she was quite shocked. Oh, she does that every evening after oh, dinner. <laughs> I bet he does. <laughs> oh, well, there we are. Oh, okay. Gosh, from, so, from planning to that. Okay. so is that behavior i mean the behavior might exist for dogs as a species and pugs are probably past merchants of that but my gordon setter doesn't do it it's neither does my border collie so i am not actually going to teach them to do it so that dog structurally might not be able to do that behavior just as equally poodles can stand up on their back legs quite easily you know the toys and the miniatures would you do it with a standard maybe not Yes, the whole structure is quite different. So just because a dog can do it does not mean your dog can do it. Um, You know, so dogs taught to do things that they see their friend's dog do. And they're, oh, I'm going to teach my dog that's so cool. I would would probably not teach these things. Some things that um, Gordons do quite a lot of is use their feet to wipe their face. You know, they'll wrap Mm -hmm. both their paws around their faces and have a good old sofa rub at the same time with their muzzle which i presume is to clear the blood off when they've been you know viscerating their animal uh, i hardly ever Lovely. see the border collies do it you know so what no, a no. dog does is not necessarily what all dogs do and we've struggled with this in search and rescue where the indicator has to be the dog bark oh this dog doesn't bark what do you mean it doesn't bark we'll only bark if it's in a fearful state so why would i actually want to do that on an indicating behavior same as sit you know merrick hardly ever sits so why would if i had my heart set on doing something like obedience where the dog's got to sit to heal sit to present sit for this sit for that i really would be asking her to do something that's probably not physically comfortable for her so my first question is where does it exist naturally and if it exists naturally what is the natural reinforcer for that behavior so if you've got a dog that does a lot of sitting what are they getting out of it why do they keep doing this sitting so you know, <laughs> i'm not going to use jack's natural reinforcer to get a dog to crawl <laughs> across the carpet that's not what i'm going to go but i could easily look at um why would a dog move backwards if it's standing in front of me and i want to teach the dog to walk backwards does that behavior exist naturally? Yeah. yeah. Uh, why? What's the reinforce the dog will get from that? It's probably because they can actually see something better if they're further away from yeah. it. So I might right. use the conditions under which the behavior happens naturally to align my reinforcer with those same conditions. 
And also, mm-hmm. you know, a clear description of the behavior. You know, I often get people going, oh, and I want him to do blah. And I go, what does that look like? Well, you know, it's sitting pretty. And I go, I don't know. What's sitting pretty? Um, well, begging. Well, resting your head on your leg and drooling. No, 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 no. You know, where they sit and their front end goes up and does this, that and the other. Oh, right. That's what you mean. Well, then that's what you need to be clear about what it is, what it looks like. Um, somebody wanted their dogs to do it as part of a drama thing was to turn their back towards them and then scruff their back feet out like they're just blowing them off, you yeah. know, like after dogs have right. urinated or marked. Um, does this dog do it naturally? No, but I've seen my mother's dog do it. <laughs> it yeah, you know, okay. and it, it is quite a mature okay. behavior and it might not come in on a dog until they're probably two, three years old. Some dogs do it daily. Um, Merrick is particularly good at doing it when she's pre-season. So I notice it escalating mm. quite a lot. And I think, oh, yeah, she's due in season. So there's must be something about doing it that's part of transmitting availability. I don't know. So she wanted to teach the dog to do this to dry its feet. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I don't think the reasons for doing it are going to be compatible, apart from the fact that the amount of energy that she puts into doing this would send your doormat flying back out the house again. You know, it's not a, it's yeah, not a little yeah. rub. It is a good old, let's kick that grass out of here and make it fly 20 foot behind you. You know, it's, it's a, it's quite an energetic behavior. It's very satisfying for them as well. So a good, clear description, you know, do you want your dog to rub their feet or scratch it violently out the back? Um, I think yeah. also then, What's the function of the behavior? So if we are not lining up with, so we have a behavior that exists naturally like that back foot scraping, and then we want to use it for drying your feet when you come in, the functions are completely different. One is a very aroused situation where the dog is um, quite vigorously scooping out the ground behind them, and dogs and bitches do it just as much. And then you come in and you want them to, dry their feet which would not which would be far more relaxed yes you know I mean the functions of doing those two things are quite different so when we try and teach them to do that and we're not aligning with the function it often can put the dog into conflict the classic one has to be a sit for greeting you know dogs rarely sit oh, yeah. to greet another dog so this is a man-made desire that all obedient dogs should sit oh but i haven't seen you for eight hours i don't care I want you to sit because obedient dogs always sit. Yes, but you're all excited because your visitors that you come in, you haven't seen them for ages, and I'd like to be part of the party. Uh, sit. <laughs> and the poor dogs are just <laughs> suppressed from being aroused because at this time, I don't want the dog jumping on me. I don't want this. I don't want that. You know, it's all about what the person wants. Yeah. And then the sit becomes really, you know, a situation of conflict. And the dogs are like, okay, I don't know what I've done wrong, but I'll sit here. And then you start to greet and they get all excited all over again. And it's like you go around on this constant roller coaster of having to overload the number of reinforcers needed because the sit function is completely at odds with why you're asking the dog to do it. Exactly. You know, so yes, yeah. what what's the function of this behavior for the dog? Again, you know. Give so a- you want to know all of this stuff prior as part of your planning process. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have a list of, I don't know, eight or ten questions. And if I haven't done my behavior profile of why you're doing this, where does it exist, what's the reinforcer, is this going to be, where am I going with this in the future? 
Yes. Um, often I, I, I think I taught a dog to reverse towards me, which turned out to be a pain in the butt. <laughs> so he comes tail first in my direction for one tricky type of thing. And it got completely mixed up with another behavior. So when I was trying to do the other behavior, this one ended up coming. Oh, good Lord above. So be clear about what you expect this behavior to be in two or three years time. Where's it going? What's your f- purpose for teaching this? You know, what's the yes. future of the behavior? Yeah. Um, is this going to be part of other behaviors? So say I'm going to ask my dog to go to, uh, go to bed. Would they go to their bed to settle down or would they go to bed to do other behaviors when they've got there? So going to bed is a different behavior than going to stand on a platform. Because if I ask my dog to go and stand on a platform or a target mat, they would stand there poised for action, but that's not the same as going to bed. And I wouldn't want the dog to go to bed and be poised for action. Going to bed is about lights out. You know, it's not about mm-hmm. waiting for something exciting to happen. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we need to. So that, that goes with planning out what you want your various uh, object cues to represent or your platforms mm-hmm. or your beds. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. So, you know, in, I, I, I like to teach the dogs to do uh, hear work to music. So I have behaviors that are locations. I'll be stand on my left, stand on my right, stand on my right but have the tail out front, you know, so I have different places. Now, if I want the dogs in the future to be able to move between one location and another, I need to have a cue that tells them how to do it. It's not just be here, then be there. So if I want you to go to Newcastle, I would say Newcastle by train or Newcastle by air or Newcastle by boat or walk or or whatever, not just go to Newcastle. So all of those action behaviors that tell you how to change location need to be on cue. And those cues should not conflict with the location. So I can't say go a new way to Newcastle. We would be in trouble because the queue to get there and the destination sound the same. So when I'm planning all these behaviours, which come from experience of using words like pirouette and wait, and the dog going, I can't tell the difference between pirouette and wait. So I'll just wait. (laughs) And I'm thinking... Why is he not moving? Yes, so so words can easily get mixed up when they're used in context. And if I'm going to use left paw, right paw, pink, blue, mm. I made the mistake of using tick and tock. Couldn't tell the difference. Tick, tock. Mm. Mm. So, you know, all that way through, you're looking through your, you know, if I find a word that's going to be phonetically cool, and there's certain words that are not phonetically cool, don't just use them because it sounds... You know, you know, sounds good to do it. Words that begin with L's are bad phonetically. Mm-hmm. So you'll have this kind of all mapped out, and then you'll then that's that's and only then will you'll start. But mm. do you sit there and just mull it over and and then mostly when I'm sitting behind mm. the wheel of the car. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh-huh. um, yeah. So oh. you know, you do more dog training when you're not training the dog. You know, so the training of the dog part is the easy bit because all the planning's done ahead. So don't mm-hmm. get on the job and then go, oh, dear, I should have not done that. Oh, I shouldn't have taught that. Yeah. Oh, I shouldn't have done that at this point. You know, because it's the mm-hmm. dog that you're screwing up or for a little bit of lack of forethought. Yeah. Do you write your plans in your journals a lot? Yeah. Or... Yeah. You... yeah. Yeah. And, you know, another ethical question is, I want to teach this. Is this going to be a benefit to the dog? Yes. 
or how is this going to benefit the dog? I'm not just going to teach it because it's nice to teach or because I'm good at teaching this. Is this going to be a benefit to the dog? Hmm. You know, one of the things that I'm seeing lately that is dogs hugging dogs. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It creeps me out for yeah. one thing. There's another one where in freestyle, people like to have the dog wrap its legs around your leg. So it sits yeah. by the side of I you know. and the dog hugs your leg. And I'm going, yeah. ooh, I wouldn't do that with Jack ooh. the Pug. <laughs> I think he would be <laughs> humping your leg a bit too fast. Oh, I never thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> and in freestyle, there used to be the one where the, the dog would be behind the handler and the dog would put their front paws on the handler's waist. Yes. And the handler then would walk along with sort of jazz hands and the dog would basically walk along behind them. Well, if the handler's going a little too fast, it looked like the dog was just giving them a good old bonking as they're going (laughs) along. And you're going, really? Did you look at this on video? Did you have any idea what it appeared to look like? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's just because it's cool. Maybe we're just too Puritan. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I really don't think you should be doing this in public. You know, this was not a good one for public. Oh my goodness! So there's a lot that you you really kind of analyze prior to deciding whether a behavior yeah, because is. The the dog shouldn't have to again take this burden of us not knowing what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're going to do it, and where it's going in the future. You know, it's the same as mm-hmm. if you're going to write a computer program. Oh, I'll just have a go at it, and then a year later you're having to do all these fixes and workarounds because you didn't plan for what happens when the clocks go forward an hour. You know, planning is absolutely essential. If you're not planning and preparing to do it, then you really shouldn't be picking up your treats and clickers. Something you said to me a couple of days ago was, you don't have to plan for three years. You have to plan for the next session. And I mean, have a grand plan, have a grand structure. Yeah, have a long-term plan. Yeah. 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 But be willing to left, right, forward. I mean, at the moment, we've got a heel work training course on. And every person on that course is teaching heel work for different reasons or they're teaching them for slightly different rules because they're in different countries. That changes mm. how you teach what you're going to teach. So you can't put this recipe out. This is how you teach heel work. Uh, no, I don't think so. Not in this environment. Not for this dog. Not for this person. Oh, okay. So then you have to go a bit further upstream and have a look at what are the components of heel work and how can these be adapted to the different outcomes that you're trying to achieve. We haven't even arrived at the whole business of cue hierarchy and whether or not you should really train eye contact and what is it about that three-second rule anyway. For more information and great reading from many contributors, go to Kay Lawrence's website, learningaboutdogs.com, or follow us on Facebook. And you knew I was going to do it, but here's my little plug. If you're looking for a new canine friend in your life, do please consider your local rescue, animal shelter, or humane society. Thanks so much for listening.